Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yes, the fanfare to the common man. We always start with that little piece of music because we're not about common people. We're about the uncommon people, as that music implies, the common man being uncommon. We're about education, education for all people. We are here, the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. We've been here for decades. We'll be here for decades until we don't need to. And when we don't need to be here, that's when every child not only is entitled to, but receives a gold standard education in this country. And the only way that's going to happen is if we all get together as a nation of people, of citizens even, that's an old-fashioned word, to decide that if your local state school is not good enough, that's a scandal. Let's sort that stuff out. <laughs> and that's not going to happen while we have a sort of bifurcated um, apartheid education system where you have private schools which are exempt from the laws of the country and can hire and fire who they like depending upon whether they like them or not or the colour of their skin or the, 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 the shade of their god um, and you have public schools which um, are open to all accessible to all and there's no religious test to get into a state school um, and they educate all the people so we are the defenders of those schools we are the defenders of government schools and this is not just a fight here in Australia, although it is particularly virulent in Australia because the public-private sort of relationship in education in Australia goes back for all sorts of horrible reasons. Uh, one of which, strangely enough, um, is the Catholic Church. Uh, we're not sectarian here, but we have to talk about the Catholic Church here in Australia because they run a large number of schools. Um, and they do that here in Australia, but they also do it in Ireland. Or well, they have done up until quite recently. And Julie will be telling us about that. We'll also be talking about the, the segregated school system here in Australia and how that relates to social inequality. And then I'm afraid we have to discuss that other great nation not, that's not Ireland and not Australia in the Anglosphere, um, the United States of America, which I would argue is now a misnomer. I think we'll just call it the States of America and then we'll leave whether they're united or not up in arms as a question recently. But they have an education secretary called Betsy DeVos who's doing some extraordinary things and I'd just like to highlight how destructive what's going on over there in the, in the States of America. Sorry, the States of Northern America, by the way. This excludes the, the, the southern bit that hangs off the bottom, apparently. Sorry, I'm being very facetious. Anyway, you're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855, and after a few messages, we're going to have a press release. Press release number what, Jane? 807. Oh, my gosh. 807th press release since we've been doing this on air. We'll have a press release after these. (laughs) 
3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Okay, so this is Sheba. And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Beginning September 2nd, tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. Good afternoon, listeners. Press release 807. A historic development. Catholic Church loses control of three of its southern Irish schools. The Australian public school system that we support here, from the docks, commenced a very uncertain life in 1848 as the Irish national system. So we are very interested, of course, in what goes on in Ireland. This non-denominational system, the Irish national system, otherwise known as Lord Stanley's system, was open to all children, but it was undermined and scuttled in Ireland itself, but it continued in Australia. Because here in Australia, we were very fortunate that our 19th century forebears were prepared to stand up to the churches and withdraw aid from their schools. But it was otherwise in Ireland. And now, since the 1960s, Australia, following Ireland, is currently being dragged back into the social divisions created by a sectarian system. In Ireland, for centuries, it has always been, until very recently, a very troubled sectarian story. By 1900, the Irish national system was, as in Australia, declared godless and taken over in the south by the Roman Catholic Church. And until very recently, this church has always been in charge of almost all the schools in Southern Ireland, 90% of them at least, at, of course, the expense of the state. Protestant schools, like the Protestant population itself in Southern Ireland, have almost disappeared. There has, in fact, been what some would regard as some kind of religious cleansing of Southern Ireland. But in the North, it's a bit different. Children have been divided between the Roman Catholic and the state schools up there, and because the the Roman Catholic children have gone to the Roman Catholic schools, the state schools have been generally attended by Protestant children. And the consequence, as we all know, has been the sectarian troubles. 
The secular population, there are people in Ireland who belong to neither the Roman Catholic or the um, Protestant churches. In all of the counties of Ireland, north and south, have for many years been demanding an end to the religious sectarian domination of the schooling system. There's no place in either, of course, for them. But the times, they are a-changing in Ireland. The faithful are questioning the church and its care of their children. And in April 2019, three schools made history by becoming the first to abandon their Catholic ethos and becoming multi-denominational state-run schools. Now, this transferring patronage, because it's local patronage in Ireland, reflects an ebbing of the Catholic Church's dominance in education, some people believe, uh, although it still runs about 90% of the primary schools in the South. And the efforts by the small rural schools are trying to attract more pupils to avoid closure. So a primary school in Roscommon and two in Kerry have reopened as multi-denominational schools. These three very small primary schools, there's Lee Carrow in County Roscommon and Tahia National School and Scoyle, Anglaiana, both in County Kerry, reopened for the new term in April under the umbrella of local education and training boards, which are non-denominational. And they offer a multi-belief and values program rather than Catholic instruction. Preparation for the sacraments of communion and confirmation take place outside school hours. Now, the schools are doing this because they're hoping to retain and draw pupils from Ireland's growing number of atheists, agnostics and non-Catholics. But they're very small. Lee Cow and Taila National Schools have just eight pupils each and Scoyle Angliana has 14. We had a third of our pupils who were non-religious, so we had to look at this. The principal of Squirrel Aunt Liana told the news. um, We're getting this information, by the way, from the Guardian newspaper. And the principal said that they needed to look at how they were going to keep pupils and entice others in order to survive. We are a beautiful school in the most stunning location and now we can show formally on paper that we are all inclusive. And under the Education and Training Board structures, the schools will gain more state help for staffing, IT and building maintenance. So this is a follow-the-money situation. The Catholic Church has previously transferred unused school buildings to multi-denominational patronage, but this is said to be the first live transfer. Now, this is taking place in the context of a wave of social liberalisation. We've had the same-sex abortion services. They have a gay prime minister in Southern Ireland and it swept over Ireland's conservative Catholic traditions at the same time that the sexual abuse scandals have engulfed the Catholic Church in that place. 
Attendance at Catholic services has declined in Southern Ireland and there's been an influx of immigrants. 17% of the population have been born abroad and it swelled the number of non-Catholics in that state. The initiative by the three schools reflects a desire to stem decline in rural areas, however, where closed schools are a common sight, because the closure of post offices, banks, police stations and pubs in villages and small towns has has prompted warnings of a crisis in rural Ireland. Now, will this latest Irish experiment, because that's what it is, succeed and gain momentum? Church-state separationists in Ireland should not expect too much from this latest step to winch control of education from the Catholic Church. It is actually only three very small schools which were in danger of closure anyway. Their divestment, because this is the policy of the Education Department in Southern Ireland, divestment from the Catholic Church, merely avoided their almost certain closure. From the Church's point of view, they were no longer either valuable real estate or a financial proposition. I mean, 14 students and 8 pupils... um, Eight or 16, 14 plus 16, that's 30 pupils. That's not going to bring in an awful lot of money into the church coffers and they have to pay teachers. For this initiative by the three schools reflects a desire to stem decline in the rural areas where closed schools are a common site, as we've mentioned. Now, Emma O'Toole, who is the Associate Professor of Irish Performance Studies at Concordia University in Canada, uh, has followed up what is actually happening in Southern Ireland with a very interesting article. And she claims that Ireland's attempts to secularise its schools have turned to farce as the Catholic Church fights back in Dublin. In Dublin, there's a lot of very valuable real estate. Her article attracted 529 very interesting comments because what is happening in Dublin? In 2012, a government report recognised the need for change and recommended that some schools divest their religious patronage. But progress has been very slow. And though the church agrees that some divestment might be necessary, at local level it's very reluctant to cede power. Now, I want to talk about this because the dogs believe that given in Australia we are now paying both the capital and the running costs of many, many Catholic schools, it's time they were divested and became state schools, non-denominational schools here in Australia. So we need to learn from the way the church behaves in Southern Ireland because the Catholic Church in Australia has traditionally been very close to the Catholic Church in Ireland. So I'm not making any apology for spending time on this program talking about Ireland. After a survey of parents of preschool children in an area of Dublin apparently indicated that more than a quarter wanted multi-denominational education for their children, it was decided that one of the eight local Catholic primary schools should divest. 
but in response, three Catholic schools circulated leaflets containing misinformation. They said that the loss of religious patronage would mean an end to the schools having Christmas celebrations, Easter and even Halloween. It would also lead to the axing of healthy eating programs and book clubs. It would lead to the devaluing of grandparents, censorship of the Irish language, lack of safety on school tours, a drop in the standard of education, the imperilment of teachers' jobs, in short, to a Brexit-like disaster. So this is really um, the Catholic Church fighting back the way it did before the last election here in Victoria. In Ireland, 90% as we've said, um, of the primary schools are still Catholic. But this religious domination of public education is anomalous in a developed nation. It doesn't meet the needs of Ireland's increasingly diverse population or of the many citizens, religious or otherwise, who would rather that Catholicism was not afforded a privileged place in public life because in Southern Ireland it is the official state church and this is part of the problems between Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland. After a survey of parents of preschool children in the area in the area of Dublin apparently indicated that more than a quarter wanted the multi-denominational education for their children, it was decided that one would go that way. Now as well as that, They said, and this is what really upset people, that Pancake Tuesday would be banned. So we're finding out here how you scuttle a proposal which is opposed by the church. Because here in Australia we have again and again tried to introduce needs policies which have been systematically scuttled by our church schools. In Australia, we now hand over billions of dollars in taxpayer funds to Catholic education officers and then we stand amazed when the church bureaucrats fail to either channel funds into disadvantaged disadvantaged schools or even account for its expenditure. Similarly, the state in Ireland all but handed over administration of the divestment process to the church. They said, we want to divest these Catholic schools, but we'll let the church do it. Crazy. The result? Catholic schools have denied parents any objective information on alternative patrons and then warned them that if they voted for divestment, there would be no opportunity to reconsider once they learned details of the proposed replacement. In reference to the idea that Irish people don't want this change, Emma O'Toole explained the process a little further. There are two stages to the government's, this is the Irish government's diversification plans, the identification phase and the implementation phase. In the identification phase, which started in May 2018, bodies called education and training boards surveyed the preschool parents to indicate demand for diversity in given areas. 
When demand was established, the process moved to the implementation phase, which involves consultation with local school communities. And this phase was handed over to the Catholic schools themselves. And it is where the denial of information about alternative patrons and rather wacky misinformation like the Pancake Tuesday uh, information came in. Now, based on the results of one of the surveys, it showed that 26% of preschool parents in the Port Marnock, Malahide, Kinsale area of North Dublin wanted the choice of a multi-denominational school, while only 3% of school places were actually non- or multi-denominational schools themselves. Now, that was the identification phase. So you actually had a fairly substantial, more than a quarter of the parents wanting these schools in this particular area of Dublin. And the parents in each of the eight Catholic primary schools in the area needed to vote on whether they wanted their school to divest. And that was the implementation phase. And this is when the Catholic schools gave parents no information on alternative patrons whatsoever. And they fed them a load of lies and then told them that any vote for divestment would be final and there would be no opportunity to reconsider when they found out the details of the new patrons. So in short, the divestment implementation only began when demand was established and then it cynically got shut down when power over the process was given to Catholic schools. So that's how it's worked in Ireland. And I suggest that here in Australia, when we decide that we want to take over these schools that we are paying for, we learn from the way the Catholic Church has behaved in Dublin. And we also learn from our forebears in the 19th century that never gave the Catholic Church any quarter and didn't trust them. Who in their right mind in, in Dublin at the moment would vote for change under the circumstances that have been set up by the Catholic Church? A parent writing to the Irish Times opined that the process seemed to be cynically engineered to obtain a particular result for the diocese. So when parents in this situation inevitably voted to maintain the status quo, the church could then say, we tried, but there was no appetite for it. People really want their children to have a Catholic education. And of course, choice is uppermost. And this is certainly how one father, Jerry O'Connor, involved in the failed divestment of a Catholic school, explained the fact that no schools voted for change in the Dublin suburb of Ballyfermot. So faced with public attention on its untruths and manipulations, however, the Archdiocese of Dublin announced that perhaps the divestment votes in North Dublin would be postponed. In the wake of this farce, the government 
in Ireland now needs to reassure parents that divestment will not disrupt their children's education and they need to know that they're not voting on order versus chaos but on whether they want their school to be run according to a Catholic ethos or according to a multi-denominational or non-denominational ethos. Now, to do him justice, Joe McHugh, the Minister for Education, did condemn the inaccurate information distributed by the church hierarchy and took the unusual step of publicly asking the Catholic schools not to issue claims that have no basis in fact. And the parents do have to come to terms with the fact that some things will change if they do decide to divest from the Catholic uh, Church. For example, preparation for Catholic sacraments would take place outside school hours, a shift potentially just as beneficial for Catholic children as for non-Catholic children. And when one parent actually complained that her children sit through 30 minutes of formal religious instruction daily, it should be pointed out that that's over 10% of class time. Now, the educational issues at stake in both Australia and Ireland, because we're sitting here in Victoria in 3CR. Ireland is a long way away, not perhaps in uh, time, 24, 30 hours perhaps, but there are lessons to be learnt. The decision that Irish parents are being asked to make is of great significance, not only with divestment of their education and their schools from the Catholic Church protect the rights of Ireland's non-Catholic children who are currently excluded during religious instruction and of non-Catholic teachers who can be discriminated against in the hiring process, it would also help to complete the separation of church and state because while over 90% of the children undergo near-mandatory Catholic faith formation in state schools, these are called state schools, by the way. They're national schools, but they're Catholic schools. The church simply has too much power in the Irish Republic, and this is why the DUP at the moment want to have a hard border in Ireland, and there is trouble with Brexit. Why do state schools continue to teach Irish children to respect the moral authority of the Catholic Church, one wonders, when most Irish adults are aware of the lessons of the Ryan Report, the Ferns Report, the Cloyne Report and too many others. These are the reports, of course, that have dealt with the child abuse, which has been rampant in the Irish Catholic Church and in its schools. The parents know that such respect is dangerous and misplaced. So why do they continue to show children that it's normal for the church to play a privileged part in public life when generations, both in Ireland and in Australia, have lived through the tragic effects of their indoctrination? And they feel, in Ireland particularly, that if they continue to keep children ignorant of any religious belief but Catholicism and teach them that children of other faiths are deviations from the norm, will they then act surprised when these seeds grow into intolerance and divisions 
in the new Ireland? And will they continue to ignore the misogyny and the homophobia of the Catholic Church and pretend that this has no effect on the children in its schools? So some parents in Ireland are imagining, and we in Australia too should imagine, what it would be like if our children were taught that moral authority is to be earned and can be revoked. That Catholicism is one faith among many. That boys and girls can play equal roles in any institution. That families can come in all shapes and sizes. And this can happen. And there's a chance for it to happen in both Australia and in Ireland, but it will never happen while the Catholic Church is running the show. Now, the Emma O'Toole article, which I've, I've drawn on for this um, press release, had well over 500 responses, comments. But the Guardian newspaper chose to and I will ask Dale to read the two responses to the uh, situation in Ireland after we've had a bit of music.
quite a bit of time talking about developments in Ireland and referring you to an article by Emma O'Toole in the Guardian newspaper. But what was most interesting and is often interesting about these articles is the comments, the number of comments, and there were over 500 to that article. The Guardian newspaper itself selected two, and these are two very interesting comments. And I'm going to ask Dale to read them to you. Thanks, Jean. Yes, the first comment comes from Readout Noise, who says, I am lucky to live in an urban area that is well served by the Educate Together non-denominational schools. My daughters attend one and my son another newer one, closer to our home. Both provide an excellent education. Here's the funny thing. Despite being secular schools, there is more religious and moral observance in them than in a Catholic school. That's because every religion, and none, is not merely tolerated, but respected and explored. And every religious, ethnic, or national culture within the student body has its important days to celebrate. There are 67 different nationalities in my daughter's school of around 430 kids. Many Catholic kids attend, of course, and their parents simply come together as a group and arrange their sacramental preparation outside of school, which is as it should be, and everyone is happy with it. The concept of Catholic Ireland is dead and gone. The bishops are just desperately clinging on with their campaigns of misinformation. The Educate Together approach is an interesting one. They opened a school in Birmingham a couple of years ago and I read an article in which they explained that they felt the UK model of non-denominational schools as opposed opposed to multi-denominational schools was very damaging as it had contributed to a lack of understanding of non-Christian faiths and had encouraged the isolation of the Muslim community in particular. And now Paul at lunch responds by saying, uh, general education should be totally secular. There is no reason for maths, science, language, history, geography, etc. to be taught in a specific religious environment. Religious education is fine. Kids need to know about religions in a factual way, even if they're not religious. However, anyone who wants their children to follow a particular religion can take them along to the appropriate church, mosque, temple, synagogue, whatever, outside of school hours. There is simply no reason for the existence of faith schools in any hue in the 21st century. Well, isn't that? They, I thought they were very interesting um, opinions and uh, the dogs, of course, would be interested in them as well. So that's enough from me for this afternoon. I'll pass you over now to Robert. Thank you very much, Jane. Welcome. Look, I think it was important to talk about what's going on because it has significant parallels here in, in Victoria, let alone Australia. Um, but in Australia and Victoria, we have a different system to the Irish system. We don't have a state school system run by the Catholic Church. 
um, only about 30% or 30, perhaps even 35% of the children in Australia are educated directly um, under the auspices of the Catholic Church funded by, by me. Me, I pay taxes, so funded by taxpayers. The government pays the Catholic Church to run the schools to teach the children all about the Catholic things. Um, that's what happens in Australia. It just it doesn't happen um, to 90% of the kids. It happens to around about 30%. So I think what happens in Ireland actually is directly relevant. Um, but the other thing, of course, we have in Australia is we have the independent school system. And between the Catholic school system and the independent school system, we now have in Australia one of the most socially segregated apartheid education systems on the planet. In fact, we are the fourth most segregated education system on the planet when it comes to OECD nations. Um, and this, I'm quoting this directly from, from, from the PISA study, the um, Program for International Schools Assessment, which has been going now for almost 20 years. Uh, we didn't used to be back in the year 2000. Back in the year 2000, we were amongst the most equitable. Um, but things have changed in 20 years, thanks to the Howard government's initiatives and then the various Labor governments ignoring what's going on, and now we have a Conservative government once again. So over that time, we have fallen off the perch. And, of course, if you have an inequitable education system, you have a poorly performing education system because those two things go together. Here we have a rule which says every parent is demanding and should receive as a matter of right a choice as to where they should send their child and the government should fund whatever choice that they decide. However, in Australia there's one choice we don't have. Um, if you want to send your child to the local state school, you don't get to choose if that's any good. You don't get to choose if that's properly funded. And there's a very good chance that your local state school is not properly funded. Now, there are a few exceptions, but basically you do not get to choose to send your child to the local state school with the expectation it is the best possible school you could send your child to. There are, there are countries in the world where that's true. There are countries in the world where if your local state school is not good enough, that's a scandal. <laughs> straight up, letters, letters to the minister, straight up. If the minister doesn't do something, he has to resign, straight up. Um, but here in Australia, no, 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 because we can buy our way out. We have that right to choose. Um... This is not speculation. What I'm saying here is not some polemic rant, although sometimes I do have those. Um, this is not some polemic rant, but after, after these messages, I'll explain exactly what the evidence is for what I'm saying. Um, and I'll be drawing on cleverer people than me, in particular Trevor Cobalt from the Save Our Schools organisation up there in Canberra. But I'll tell you more about that after this. Six years I've been Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make and sure I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here I'd like to say thank you for all for coming um, helping, giving us a chance to do this it's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now hopefully it goes, it keeps going you know, like it's 
it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Yeah, that birthing tree. Why do I have to chop it down? I really don't get that one. Um, yeah, definitely in support of that. Um, a, a tree of such local and international significance, and just, just let it grow, let it be. It's been there. Let it stay there. Um, yeah, so we are part of the 3CR community here, which is always good. and It's an honour to actually have community announcements beyond the bars and birthing tree protests. I think it's important. But back to the matter at hand. Um, many people here um, at the station probably criticise me for not being left-wing enough. I'm a bit of a social realist. Um, even though I think and I know that inequity is not just, just sad, it's stupid, I mean, if you don't educate the children of, of poor people as well as you educate the children of rich people, you are actually just losing a resource in the 21st century because as we go into the future, we are our people. We are our own resource. And the best education you can give to the largest number of people, the better there is. But having said that, I'm a realist. There are, in Australia, some kids that come from filthy rich families. And there are some kids that come from families from significant disadvantage. They are there. They exist. As I walk out the doors of 3CR, I will see them. This is a reality. In Australia, we take those children of the very rich families and we take those children of the families who are struggling and who are, and I'm going to say the word, poor, even though that's a dirty word in Australia, um, and we separate them out. We separate them out from birth. We separate them out in our education system. That is social segregation. It's what we now do. It's not what we did, but it's what we now do. Um, well, it's just the way we do things at the moment. Yes, you can call it, you can call it I mean, I, I just think it's stupid. You can call it medieval. You can call it uncivilised. Um, but Trevor Cobalt, taking this simple fact... I said, well, this means something when it comes to the education system. And, I, and he says, and I quote, there is extensive research evidence that the social composition of schools is a significant factor in educational inequality. Now, he's, he's, he's hedging his bets. He's using appropriate language, not like me, but I think it's worth listening to him just between the words. He says, students from different socioeconomic status families who attend schools with high concentrations from high SES families tend to achieve higher test results and higher graduation rates. There are negative consequences for high and low SES students for attending low SES schools. Now, a new study 
published in the Academic Journal Studies for Educational Evaluation, has found similar effects on educational inequality from social segregation in school systems. He found that social segregation within European education systems amplifies social disparities in educational achievement. Achievement gaps between low and high SES students tend to be higher in more highly segregated school systems. So this is a study in Europe, and I'm coming back to Australia because I think this is important. Um, The study found the effects of SES. Now, SES is how much money you've got and what kind of job you do, all put together in, in, in one number. So the effect of how much money you got and what job you do on the student's achievement, that is the child's achievement, was significantly stronger in education systems with higher levels of social segregation, suggesting that social segregation within education systems may contribute to intergenerational transmission of educational disadvantage. That is to say, through the generations, if you have a segregated education system where you put all the rich kids together and all the poor kids together, the poor kids turn into poor parents who make poor kids who turn into poor parents who make poor kids pockets of poverty and cycles. Exactly right. It goes through the generations. Mm. Now, this finding is relevant, even though it's in Europe, to Australia because in Australia, we have one of the most highly segregated school systems in the OECD. We are worse than Bulgaria. Well, we're getting to the position of, of Ireland where they're trying very hard to have an educate together movement also in England. Uh, yeah. We seem to want to go back desperately to um, some kind of medieval situation, don't we? Well, the study assessed to the extent of social segregation within education systems in Europe and examined patterns of co-variation between social segregation within education systems and social inequality in educational achievement using, and I'm going to say this for all those statisticians out there, a multi-level regression model. Now, I know what that means. I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not going to sit here on the dogs and explain it to you. But what I'm saying is they are using an appropriate model to establish whether what these findings say are true. Okay? Um, it's a multi-level regression is, no, no, I won't start. Um, if you do want to call up the dogs on 94198377, that's 94198377 and say, hey, Rob, what's multi-level regression? I will email you if you leave your email. I promise. But let's just say that they've used proper scientific methods to find out that what he's saying is true. Now, the findings indicate that the degrees of social segregation within education systems vary considerably between different countries. That is to say, countries using the Scandinavian model have very little social segregation when it comes to their education systems. That is to say, rich kids and poor kids go to the same school. They are educated together. Together. So the parents of rich kids send their kids to the local school, the parents of poor kids send their kids to the local school, and they end up sometimes at the same school. Now, here in Australia, we have what we call postcode fascism. So you have rich um, schools in rich areas and poor schools in poor areas. That's less true in Scandinavia. Uh, They have a social model, not just in education, but across their whole culture, which suggests that those things are less important. And so they have less social segregation in their schools. However, in places like Bulgaria, in the the European model, it's much, much higher. So that you have rich kids in rich schools and poor kids in poor schools. Now, if you are in a Scandinavian school and you come from a poorer family, your educational outcomes will have a fairly significant effect on 
your achievement. Okay, so children from poorer schools, uh, from, from poorer families, I should say, tend to not do as well as children from wealthier families, independent of what school you. So there is a fairly significant effect. However, if you segregate the children into rich kids schools and rich ki- and poor kids schools, then it's not just fairly significant; it is extremely significant. In fact, it's 0.4 of a standard deviation. Now I'm not going to use stats. That's a big number. <laughs> Okay, point four. One is, it is like it's exactly the same. Point four is, that's massive. So if you want to make sure that poor kids make poor children and stay poor, you just segregate them into schools. That, that's what that number means. If you want to have, over the generations, a situation where poor people make poor students who make poor people who make poor students, if you want to keep doing that, and as Jane said, medieval, then that's what you do. Develops a caste system rather than social mobility. That's what you're saying, isn't it? It does. Well, you know, yes. Now, just to get back to what this means for Australia. Look, in Australia, we have the equal fourth most segregated school system in the OECD, with 51% of poor students concentrated in poor schools. And that was in 2015. Okay, that was four years ago. It also shows there's a massive achievement gap of about three years of learning between rich kids and poor kids in Australia. This new research and earlier study strongly suggests that high social segregation in Australian schools is a combination of social inequality in educational outcomes. So why do we have this in Australia? It is fostered by a funding system that favours parent choice and private schools over addressing the needs of disadvantaged students in all schools. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of that story. But you know what? I was going to go to America and tell you all about Betsy DeVos. That's too depressing. I've changed my mind. Changed my mind. I'm going to talk about a great state school. I'm going to talk about the biggest, greatest state school in Victoria today after this. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools school are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. <laughs> Oh, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. I did promise before the break I would talk about the biggest, greatest state school in Victoria. This school's actually run out of Thornbury, out up there in the north, in the inner north. You think, oh, it's full of hipsters. Mmm, don't like Thornbury. What's that, South, South Castle, man, they call it now? Thornbury. No, it's run out of Thornbury. It has 4,000 students. So when I say biggest, woo. It's called the Virtual School Victoria. Remember we used to have distance education? Well, not anymore. We had the Virtual School Victoria. This is a school run by me. I'm a taxpayer, so I run it. Um, it's open to all. In fact, it's even open to kids who go to independent schools and Catholic schools. It's open to everyone. If you are in the regions of Victoria or in a school that doesn't offer a particular subject and you really want to do that subject, you really want to be a graphic designer, but you can't do design in high school in year 12, well, you can. You can go to the virtual school of Victoria and you can enrol in a course there. If you are starting off in kindergarten and your parents say, look, I really just, for all sorts of reasons to do with geography and time, cannot get my child to a school, you can do kindergarten. You can do kindergarten from the virtual school of Victoria. You can have a teacher virtually 
to get you through that process. And this happens with 4,000 kids each year. Now, I'm not going to sit here and talk about NAPLAN results because it goes from prep to year 12. It goes from kids from Mildura to Upper Kambakta to Thornbury to who knows where. I mean, there's students in schools, in independent schools, way out there in the Gippsland that really want to do something and the school can't offer them something. So they turn up. But I will tell you how much it costs. Now, this is the virtual school Victoria with 4,000 kids. It's got, it's got hundreds of teachers on staff. It's a massive organisation. It costs... Now, if you've got, um, if you've got a, a healthcare card, if you've got a healthcare card, it will cost you $130 per year to enrol your child in any number of courses at the virtual schools Victoria. Now, this is run by me and you... And so it should be. This is not run by a private school. This is not run as a for-profit organisation. This is not run as a public-private partnership because no one would touch this. There's no money in this. So if there's no money in it, then it comes to you and me to do it because it is a good. It is, in fact, a social good. Now, the year 2019 actually has really been a transformative year for the virtual school because it's turned from distance education, Victoria, to the virtual school because technology has now allowed people to do things like this with the technology. This is the outgrowth of the old correspondence school, isn't it? It is. In fact, they've just rewritten 274 subjects for virtual enrolment in the last 12 months. And they're developing 18 new VCE subjects to give students in rural and regional Victoria access to a full range of options, whether their school offers them or not. They're helping teachers and students connect, collaborate and learn through new online and indeed face-to-face options. They're enhancing their education experience, making sure that the whole thing is geographically... The isolation doesn't matter. If you're disengaged and you can't deal with school, virtual schools, Victoria. If you're vulnerable and can't get to schools for all sorts of terrible reasons that kids have to deal with, that's okay. You can go to virtual school, Victoria. If you're gifted and talented and bored at school, you can go. You can go to school at virtual schools, Victoria. And, of course, there are those with special needs... Okay, who have an opportunity to excel in an education system because of Virtual Schools Victoria. Now, over the little while, Virtual Schools Victoria will actually start to change. It becomes a much more online environment, but then you have Skype and then you have what they run, a very large number of excursions where kids can be connected to each other if they're in the regional context. So if you've got 25 kids up there in the northwest of Victoria who are all doing Virtual Schools, let's just get a bus taken out of Fed Square have a good day educational opportunity. Let's take them to the museum because those connections can be made between those kids doing those subjects, old and young. So I'd have to say with 4,000 kids under their belt, great state school is Virtual Schools Victoria. Look, it's been great to have your company over the last hour, especially discussing in detail what happened in Ireland earlier in the program. Um, If you want to contact us, you can at our website, www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Or you can give us a call at the radio station. Um, If you've got a great state school that's not Virtual Schools Victoria, you know something better. During business hours, you can call 94198377. And, of course, if you're listening to this on a podcast, then you don't need to tell you, me to tell you, that you're listening to this on a podcast. But if you're not... And you want to go back and check um, what it is that we've been talking about, you can at the podcast, which is available at 3cr.org.
3cr.org.au. 3cr, that's the number 3cr.org.au. But I tell you what, until next week when the fight must continue, because we haven't won yet, as soon as all the problems go away, so do we. So if you want to, if, if you want to get rid of us, get rid of private schools. We'll disappear the next day. Don't you worry about that. Until next week, it's bye for now. Ah!